You probably have noticed in your bulletin that it's an extremely long gospel lesson, but I want to say we did cut it down. The whole narrative is John 4, 1 through 40, but we decided that for the time this morning, we would cut out quite a few verses. So I invite you to hear the gospel according to John, chapter 4, selected verses. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drink from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give to them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give to them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Well, good morning once again, and I just want to say thank you for allowing Mike and I to switch like this. I, I think I've met most of you, but I, again, am the associate at Ashland Place, but more importantly here, I'm Micah's wife, and it really fills me with such joy to know that you get to have him as your pastor. I think you would be hard-pressed to find someone more loyal and compassionate and caring and smart and intentional. And obviously, I'm a little biased. But he's a really great pastor and a great person, and it really fills me with such joy that both of us get to stay in the, our respective churches for another year, and we have opportunities like this where we get to engage with one another and even step into each other's shoes for a day. The really strange part 
among other things about being a clergy couple, is feeling so invested in a place that you've never really gotten to attend. Like, I really feel invested in Spring Hill Avenue, even though this is my first Sunday morning worship experience with you. And I know he feels the same way about Ashland Place. You know, I've come to Bible studies and Linton services when I can, but it's just kind of impossible to be here on a Sunday morning. But I know that you are going to notice a few differences between Mike and I, so I'm just going to go ahead and name them. There are some differences. Obviously, um, I wear dresses and he wears bow ties. Um, I preach from paper. He preaches from an iPad, always. As long as I've known him, he has been very animated. He likes to move around. I can almost guarantee I will not move from exactly where I am. <laughs> He's also insanely smart. So on his iPad that he always has are just a few bullet points. I have every word I intend to say written out in like a manuscript form. And the last thing that we've already had a little joke about this morning is I lovingly call Micah a long-winded preacher. And I finally have proof because last week, we worked together to write these sermons, the one from last week and the one from this week. And after going back and listening to them, because we have technology, we can listen and see exactly what the person said. His sermon was 32 minutes, and mine was 17. So you're going to get out of here early today. So my point is this. Yes, we have a lot in common. Obviously, we have similar passions and calls in our lives, but we are two very different people just as Spring Hill Avenue, United Methodist Church, and Ashland Place, United Methodist Church, have a lot in common. They're both United Methodist churches, they're both in Midtown, they're both in these beautiful historic buildings, and yet there are major differences. And the differences, even though they're not bad, act as barriers sometimes, neighborhood barriers, if you will. We both have services on Sunday morning, so we don't really get to know each other, we have our own programming and traditions and history. And all of these things, again, they're not bad, but they do keep us from knowing each other. So last week, we started studying the text where Jesus was asked by a scribe, what are the two greatest commandments? And he says the two greatest commandments are to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, as we started thinking about being neighbor churches and neighbor pastors, and thinking about neighboring in general, we realize that a lot of the barriers that keep us from knowing each other as two congregations that are half a mile away are really the same type of barriers that keep us from knowing those people who live next door to us or across the street or down the cul-de-sac. And so we know that we are supposed to love our neighbors. And so I think what Micah really talked about last week and what we talked about in the sermon was what if Jesus meant that we are supposed to love our actual neighbors, those who we are geographically close to where we live? Because in the church, we're really good at calling everyone our neighbor and inviting everyone into the fold. But often when we do that, when we put out this blanket statement and say, oh, everyone's my neighbor, often that gives us a good excuse to avoid action with those who are right beside us. When the authors were writing the book, The Art of Neighboring, which the series is based off of, they had this theory that Christians would probably have better or deeper or more meaningful relationships with their neighbors compared to non-Christian households. So they went out with this theory and they surveyed all of these neighborhoods, hundreds of houses, and found that their theory was actually false. 
They found that it didn't really make a difference if the households were Christians or not Christians, and this really surprised them because, after all, it is the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. But sadly, they found that most people didn't even know the names of the people who lived right next to them. Last week, you should have gotten one of these, and there's some on the back table if you didn't get one. I got to share with Ashland Place that I was really proud of one of my squares. And I was just trying to be very transparent that this series is just about, is just as much for us as it is for anybody. That we've got work to do with knowing and loving our actual neighbors. And I have to confess this morning, you know, we've lived in the Spring Hill Avenue Parsonage for two years. And we probably have met most of our neighbors, but we only have a really close relationship with one family. And even that came about in kind of a wonky way. Um, I was out walking Peanut one morning. I hope he shared with you about Peanut, surely, our dog, our beloved dog. Yes, so I was out walking Peanut one morning and there was nobody else out on the cul-de-sac. Um, and then all of a sudden I heard behind us a dog like charging toward us. And it was very scary. It wasn't like a small dog. Um, it was a really big dog, muscular, running very fast straight toward us. I'm not sure who was more afraid, Peanut or I. And I, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I looked around and there were no other people outside, just this dog without a leash, without a collar. Um, but luckily, a few seconds before the dog got to us, the, the neighbors from this house ran out and said, oh my gosh, we're so sorry. Our dog just slipped out the door. He's very friendly. And they came and put a leash on him and took him home. Well, from that came a few more awkward encounters with them just saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, and us saying, it's fine, really, it's fine, but, you know, it was a little scary. Um, but ultimately, that led to getting to know them and asking their name, their story, how they got to Mobile, what they do with their days. And I'm happy to say that as of today, we've had them over for dinner, they've had us over for dinner, we send Christmas cards. It feels like a really good neighboring relationship. But again, this was not because we set out to be very intentional with our neighbors, unfortunately. This is a confession that I'm doing right now. <laughs> I wish I could say that we intentionally went door to door and sought to form these deep and meaningful relationships. But this came about because a dog got out and we were in the right place to interact with that dog and that family. But friends, Jesus has given us this very practical plan that perhaps, when we put into place, could change our corner of the world, our neighborhoods, when we actually love our neighbor as ourselves. But there are all types of barriers that keep us from doing that. Our Gospel text this morning, the big chunk that I read just a moment ago, is from the Gospel of John. And the story is commonly known as the woman at the well story. Um, the story takes place in Samaria, and this is a country that's between Judah and Galilee, if you look at a map of Israel. And what's really interesting to know is that even though Samaria was a neighboring country to Galilee and Judah, Judea, people would often travel around Samaria to get to the other. So if they were going to Judah or um, Galilee, they would go around Samaria because they didn't even want to walk through those people, that country. Well, you might notice that in this story, Jesus, from the very beginning, breaks a barrier by, instead of taking the long route, he walks directly through Samaria and stops in the middle, even, to have a drink of water because he's thirsty. 
So when he arrives at this well, and wells are, in the Bible, a really common place where people would meet and have conversation, um, because it's where you would get your water. But what's uncommon in this story is that Jesus met this woman at the well at noon. It would have been extremely hot, and it's interesting that this woman chose to come at noon, and perhaps it's because she was trying to avoid other people. She wasn't looking to talk to anybody that day. But that's where she finds Jesus, and Jesus begins to speak to her. Again, there are several barriers at place here that should keep them from having a conversation. And these are not just like unspoken barriers. These are like, I wouldn't say laws, but these are things that you just would not do. He is a man. She is a woman. He is a Jew. She is a Samaritan. And they are strangers. Jesus really has no business talking to her, especially talking to her about her personal life. But here we see Jesus jumping right over all of those barriers, like a good hurdle jumper. And I want you to notice that in this story, Jesus's actions are pretty simple. He sees her, he speaks to her, he is intentional. And from that, her life and the life of her neighbors are changed. So at the start of the conversation, again, she's closed off. She's wary of this man who is also at the well at noon. But then he knows about her personal life, and she starts to think this is a really strange situation. And then something incredible happens amidst all the barriers and structures. She confesses that she knows the Messiah is coming. She confesses her faith there before this strange Jewish man. And Jesus has the chance to say back to her, I am he, the one who is coming to make all things new. The woman believes him. She leaves her water jar, a sign that perhaps she doesn't have to worry anymore about this, and goes back to talk to her neighbors. And what she says when she gets there is an important phrase. She says, come and see a man who has told me everything I have ever done. This phrase, come and see, this isn't the only time that it comes up in the Gospel of John. The first time is in the very first chapter, when at the beginning of the gospel, John the Baptist is coming out and saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, talking about Jesus. And the disciples come to him and say, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus says, Come and see. A few verses later, Jesus calls Philip and Nathanael to be his disciples, to follow him to the ends of the earth. And Nathanael says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus says, come and see. And then later in John chapter 11, so after our passage for today, after Lazarus has died and Jesus has come too late, they think, to come and save him, he asks, where have you laid Lazarus? And Mary and Martha say, come and see. You see, each time this phrase is used, including in this passage with the Samaritan woman at the well, Come and see is inviting those people around to experience something beyond understanding or words or it's just beyond something you can just understand and know about within your mind. It's an invitation to experience something deeper. So when the Samaritan woman says, come and see to her community, she is inviting her neighbors in Samaria into the same experience she has just had with Jesus. This is the power of being intentional. Again, think about what Jesus did. It really wasn't that huge of a thing. He spoke to someone he came across on his journey. 
And yet, he risked this awkward situation, he spoke to her, even though he wasn't supposed to, or it might be weird, and from that, an entire country got to come and see the amazing things that Jesus had done in her life, and who knows the impact it had beyond hers, because Jesus was willing to put himself out there. We may not have the same level of barriers on our society today or in our neighborhood, but there are certainly unspoken things and reasons why this series may be a little uncomfortable for you as it is for me. The first one is just the awkwardness of it all. Like I said, we have lived in this house for two years, and I do think we've probably heard the name of all the people who live beside us in the cul-de-sac. But because we weren't intentional in following up with those people or in getting to know them any deeper, it feels a little weird at this point to go back and say, oh, I'd like to introduce myself to you again, even though I know we've met, we know things about each other, but we don't actually know each other. But conversations um, can't go much further if we don't and, and know their name to begin with. So the first thing that always is a barrier in the study that these people did in writing this book, and I know for sure in my life, is overcoming that awkwardness of it and stepping out. Another huge barrier that keeps us from knowing the people who actually live beside us is the time. Forming a relationship does take time and intentional energy, and perhaps like me, you have your schedules pretty laid out. Perhaps you have a family and kids or parents you take care of, and you don't have a whole lot of extra time that you can be just giving to anybody. Those are sacred moments that you have by yourself. But this is what Jesus has called us to do, is to give some of our time, some of our energy, to put into these intentional relationships. And the third barrier that I see is just a general disinterest or apathy about the whole thing. You might be saying, no, that's okay. I've already got some really great friends. They live across town, but we're really good neighbors, so that probably counts well enough for me. Or perhaps you have family in town, and again, we are really, really good at coming up with reasons why it's not the right time for us or why it's probably someone else's job to do that. We might say we're too old or we're too young, we're too tired or we're too busy, or what if my neighbors don't like me? What if they are not interested in getting to know me? But this commandment from Jesus is a non-negotiable. Again, it is the second greatest commandment to love God and to love our neighbor. Jesus has called us to love our neighbor as ourselves because these intentional relationships are how Jesus changes the world. Similar to the first John passage from last week, our passage from James today is kind of a gut punch. It's a brutal reality check about how we're doing in our faith. Last week it said, if we do not love, then we probably do not love God. That's a quote, not a, not a real quote, that's a me quote. And then today we come to James and I wanna read a little bit of it again. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Love is a verb, and faith is a verb. Both must be bigger than our feelings of uncomfortable or nervousness about what it means, because we have been shown this great, magnificent love and mercy and grace from God, and we are called, commanded even, 
to show that same love and grace to others. Jesus showed us how to be a neighbor with the Samaritan woman at the well. He was intentional, he was thoughtful, he was curious, and he was able to point her towards the one who would give living water. His love and action led her to invite others to come and see the amazing things that Jesus has done in my life and I know can do in your life as well. Again, Jesus has commanded us to love God and to love our neighbors because this is how the world is changed. Our hope from this sermon series is that we will come out with a conviction that it is theologically important for us to know our neighbors. And again, this seems like something that should be simple because it's the first and second commandment, but I know it's a challenge. Personally, it's a challenge in our community. It's a challenge. It's a challenge at Ashland Place. It's a challenge everywhere in Mobile. But we have been called. It matters that we love and know our neighbors. So here are some things that we can focus on to get us beyond those barriers. So we've named the problem. We know that there are lots of barriers. But here are three solutions that perhaps can lead us towards moving to stepping outside our door and introducing ourselves, perhaps for a second time, to some people who live around us. The first is just to remember your why. This commandment to love our neighbors was not given to make us miserable or resentful or grumpy or angry. This commandment was given because Jesus is trying to lead us into a deeper way of living, a more meaningful life where we have these real relationships with people beyond the surface level. So when we remember our why, not only that it was commanded of us, but also that it will lead to transformation. I think that can give us some energy. The second thing is we do have to make time. I won't say find time because we all have the same 24 hours in the day, but we can make time. Because whenever we are going to know and love people, it's not always going to be convenient. Um, but we do have to think about how we want to spend our time. And we have to allow ourselves to be interruptible a little, which also is tough. But perhaps making time is as simple as going for a daily walk. And if you see someone outside or you see them in their window just waving and perhaps even stopping to speak with them, that would be a way of making time. It can start small. And the last thing is that we can have faith that God is going to use this, that there will be fruit from these relationships. We can have faith that God, who has called us to do this, is not going to send us out on our own into these neighborhood homes, into this battlefield. It can feel like sometimes having to get to know people that we don't know. God will be with us each step of the way. And again, if we have faith that God can see the road ahead of us and God knows the fruit and the depth of relationship that can come from this, we can have peace, even when we are a little uncomfortable. So this is supposed to be a really practical series. You know, last week, the block map. And this week, we have neighbor night coming up. So here is your challenge for this week. I want you to actually invite one of your neighbors to neighbor night. And you can even blame me. You can say, we had this guest preacher, and she asked me to ask you to come for a free meal for Cammie's Old Dutch, I mean, it doesn't get much better than an invitation like this. It's not an awkward situation. There will be lots of people who don't know each other. So that is what I am inviting you and challenging you to do. 
Mike and I are going to be doing the same. We're going to be actually going to neighbors' houses and inviting them to come and join us for neighbor night. It's exactly what it's set up for because, again, we believe that this is so important, that the action of actually loving our neighbors, that we want to give concrete ways that we can measure our um, progress in this and to see where we have growing areas. Friends, these may seem like small steps, or this may seem like, yeah, yeah, we heard all of this last week. But again, world changers are those who do with what they have, what they can in their corner of the world. So let us be courageous and step out of our homes in faith that God will use that, that God will use our action and our faith in stepping out to do something amazing. I think we will all be really surprised and pleasantly happy with what it means to have relationships with people who do live right beside us. So let us pray.